Good morning. Good morning. So good to see you. My name is David. I'm the college pastor at Christ Central. And um, man, can we give it up for Nathan? I know that uh, he was doing his best. Yo, give it up to Nathan. Thank you so much. Um, this morning, we have a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to go straight to scripture, but I just wanted to say I hope that you've been enjoying our FAQ series th- uh, this summer, that it's been really informative, it's been very applicable, and uh, today I have the uh, challenging task to talk about demon possessions and exorcisms being real. You know, they just thought, okay, yeah, demon possession, let's talk to David Park. And so uh, I'm here, I'm going to try to talk to you guys about this and do my best um, to attempt to answer in a biblical way. Now, just to put it out there, I'm not an exorcist, I'm not an expert in medical science, I'm I'm attempting to approach this question just truly uh, by the lenses of a pastor of what scripture says. And so we do have a lot of ground to cover, so let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for our loved ones, brothers and sisters. God, if there is even a a hint of ingratitude in our hearts, which will lead us to repentance. God, as we just approach scripture, I just ask that you would open our hearts, our eyes. God, we need your help. We need your assistance fully at this time. And so, Lord, I humbly, and we all humbly submit ourselves uh, to you at this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And uh, this is the word of God. So if you guys have your Bibles, let me hear you say word. Word. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'll be reading all the way to verse 20. So follow along as I read. This is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. This is the word of God. Uh, As we attempt to answer this question of whether demon possessions and exorcisms are real, I would like to uh, make the question a little bit more broad and ask, are demons real? Is Satan, Lucifer, the devil real? And I know all of us here in this room may have a general understanding that, yeah, of course he's real. I would like to give you biblical truth here. In Genesis 1.31, after God creates all things, he says everything was good. It was perfect. But literally a chapter and a half later in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, we have the very introduction of the serpent. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, what happened after God said in Genesis 1.31 that everything he created was good, and literally a couple of chapters or one chapter and a half later in which we have the introduction of the serpent, who obviously we see the fall enter and sin and rebellion through this period in Genesis 3.1. And I'm here to tell you that during that period, there was a cosmic or angelic rebellion, uh, we're told actually in uh, 2 Peter 2, 4, that for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Also in Jude 6, we're told of what kind of occurred during this period between chapter 131 and 3, 1. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And so we're told in scripture that there was this rebellion of these angels and led by Lucifer, and they try to rebel and be God. Lucifer was trying to stand above the heavens, above the stars of the heavens, and what we're told is, when you rebel against God, the consequences are pretty bad. There is nobody who can rebel against God and survive. In fact, here in 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6, we're told of the consequences. The emphasis is that they are removed from the glory of God's presence and that their activity is restricted. What happened was Lucifer was pretty much ashamed when literally, kind of like the way I like to explain this, when you eat bread and there's breadcrumbs on the table and you just kind of like dust it off, that's kind of what God did to Satan and all these angels who try to rebel against him. He said, wait, what are you doing? Get out of here. You are no match for me. And so when that occurred, what happened was there was this cosmic rebellion and this fall and the sin that occurred and the temptation. And I love, or not love, but this is interesting play here. What Satan does is if I can't go against God in whom I attempted to rebel against, I'm going to go for the people he loves. I'm going to go and apply the mafia rule. If I, I, I'm going to go after your family. I'm going to go after everybody you love, and then I'm going to get you. Obviously, in that, uh, in that imagery, you can't go against God, but you get my point here. Satan and all these demons said, okay, you know what? If I can't rebel against God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to attack Adam and Eve. I'm going to make what everything God made was perfect, and I'm going to crumble it. I'm going to deceive Eve. I'm going to deceive them because I'm so crafty. I'm the father of lies. And so we see the introduction here, and we see that when Jesus comes and does his earthly ministry throughout the synoptic gospels, and even in the early church stage in Acts, there are many accounts in which Jesus obviously exercises or he literally cast out demons. However, when he does this, there's always, always an account where he heals people that are lame, that are dealing with a disease, a physical disease, or with epileptic seizures. And I just wanted to draw attention to that because I think as Christians, we tend to make two mistakes. We err on two sides when it comes to this topic about the devil and demons. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he puts it this way. He writes, quote, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In other words, we either fall in this group or we take Satan way too seriously. I mean way too seriously. And so the error when we take Satan way too seriously is that Christianity or our theology becomes all about demons or Satan. Our theology becomes all about how I can fight against him attacking me constantly. And not only that, there's another consequence. It kind of takes the peace away from our hearts and it instills a fear, morbid fear of our daily living. You know, I, I've definitely gone that route. And when I was a youth pastor, there were several situations in which I had to deal with what I thought were manifestations of uh, demons in some of my former students who, by the way, were families, parents, were very open to the occult to things such as witchcraft, I mean, not witchcraft specifically, but to the spiritual realm. And I saw more attacks in this demonic uh, influence uh, upon these students whose families were open to that realm. Years ago, or actually only about a year ago, I took my son to a retreat, and that's one of the conditions my wife put on. If I go and guest speak at a retreat, I gotta take my son. And we were sleeping at a cabin, and this is just a silly example of just kind of how I felt, or I tend to blame or put, give too much credit to demons, and there's a fear in me. I was sleeping, and it was 2 a.m., and my son, who was sleeping next to me, literally wakes up. He looks behind me, and he says, what is that? And then he goes back to sleep. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? And I'll, I'll, you know, it was dark. It was dark. My natural tendency was to automatically give credit to the demon because I'm at a retreat. You know, I'm here trying to save souls or preach the gospel. And I'm like, yo, demon is right now behind me. You know what I did? I went to sleep. <laughs> right away. There was this fear. I'm not going to even lie to you. My son was completely trolling me. But could it be? Could it be? Maybe it was a figure. Maybe it was a clothing or whatever it was. It could have been something else. I kind of like gave way too much credit to demons or the enemy. Yet there's this other error that we tend to make, which is we don't take Satan and demons seriously enough. I believe that is a fear that us in the Western church make. Here in Western society, here in the United States, there's a lot of churches who will not take the presence of Satan or his demons seriously enough. And what that causes is that causes for us to dishonor Christ in the work of what he did on the cross for us by defeating Satan, defeating sin and death. It also opens dangers, grounds for, the, for Satan to lie and to deceive us, to plant thoughts or whatever it is in our lives. And so there's these two errors. And so this morning, as we read in Ephesians 6, this is my way in which I hope we can answer this question and give us more strategy talk here. We must never underestimate our enemy. The moment we underestimate our enemy, yes, there has to be a healthy balance for us to understand that Satan is real, demons are real, 
non-believers, this is my personal belief, that believers who confess Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, who have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, cannot be demon-possessed. Cannot. But there is definitely a sense where even believers, they can be prone and vulnerable to demonic attack or influence. But again, when it comes to that, we have to be very careful to distinguish whether something is demonic or if something is truly from our wicked, sinful nature, the depravity of our sinful self. In the Bible, there are so many accounts in Judges 19, Judges 9, where there are crazy, like, historical, very violent crimes like the concubine who is, who is dismembered and killed and all her body parts in Judges 9, I believe, are spread around. Or maybe the rape of, by the Benjamites of an innocent woman. I mean, there's so many crazy things that happen, but these are not as a, as a result of demonic influence. They're just part of our wicked, sinful nature. And so we have to be careful there to distinguish those things. And so what I'm hoping to do here through Ephesians 6 is to not underestimate our enemy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys four characteristics of the enemy of Satan, something that we tend not to do. We're going to study our enemy. You know, when I immigrated to the States, um, in the mid-90s, I didn't speak any English, so I had to have a translator, always translate uh, schoolwork for me, or even when I made friends. I mean, that's kind of weird. Whenever I would go and make friends, I had to have my translator. She was a Cuban girl. It was, this was in middle school. Every time when I say something to a friend, I would have to go through her. And I remember there was this one time where I met this older, I mean, not older, he was a year older than me, and this big Caucasian kid. He was in eighth grade, I was in seventh grade, and I was trying to just be friendly. You know, I'm just from South America, just trying to show him some love, and I went up to him, and I said, hey, you know, can you tell him that, you know, I want to be friends with him, and she's trying to translate, and uh, the guy, I forgot his name, I just still vividly remember how he looked like, he started getting angry, I didn't know what he was saying, because I didn't speak English, and I just could tell he was getting angry, and my translator all of a sudden started, stopped translating certain things, and I thought, okay, this is not going to get good, and all of a sudden, I did uh, I did recall and, and remember a phrase he said. He said something about my mom. And now I thought, okay, I do understand that. You're saying something about my mom. And that, get me, that got me angry. And what I did is I completely underestimated and forgot how big he was and how short of a length my arms had. And what I did was I completely forgot that my translator was there. And so what my natural reaction was when he insulted my mom, which still to this day, I don't know if he really insulted my mom. I just heard your mom. <laughs> what I did was I gave him the hardest punch that I could ever give as a seventh grader. And he didn't even flinch. <laughs> he looked down at me with this evil, evil laugh. And he started pounding on me literally like this. Why do I share this silly story? When we make an error, a tactical error, when faced with the enemy, you will experience defeat, crushing defeat. I should have assessed the situation. I should have said, look, this guy is three times bigger than me. I don't know if he really talked about my mom. 
but he looks like he is strong. You know what? I'm going to walk away. I should have done that. That's what I should have done. But because I completely underestimated this guy, I experienced like physical pain and spiritual as well. Because then that day was everybody, the word spread. And I was that Peruvian kid who got beat up by this American kid. But here's four characteristics of Satan, the devil. Ephesians 6 verse 10, number one. And please, as we go over these, I have to be very careful to tell you, don't fear. I'm sharing these so that we are better equipped. And not only am I going to tell you four characteristics of the devil, but I'm also going to give us a strategy plan. So I'm not going to leave you hopeless there. So characteristic number one, he is crafty. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemes. In its original Greek, this is a compound word, two words, meta, meaning after, and duos, away. In other words, we get this vision that Satan, the devil, is consistently 24-7 trying to, in a very crafty, deceitful way, attack us. He's trying to observe how we are doing, and by observing how we're doing. He knows what we like, what we dislike, and he crafts these very personalized attacks. And so it's not this blanket attack for every single person, but there is a crafty, very uh, subtle way in which the devil will attack us because he is immensely crafty. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been face-to-face or spoke to a person who's been trying to defraud you, or I'm not defraud you, but fraud you, I'm sorry, and trying to steal your identity, but I was trying to purchase a car years ago, a used car online, and uh, if you've tried doing this, there's so many false advertisements out there, and I had to learn, not the hard way, I almost got frauded. There was this email that I sent to this guy, and I totally forgot that at the very bottom of my email had my title, college pastor, Christ Central, and even had my number. (laughs) And so, as I emailed this guy, he emailed me back, Actually, I don't know if it's a he. The name is supposed to be a he. But he started talking about how his mom also attended church. And right away, I'm thinking, yes, I found the right car. (laughs) And then he proceeded by saying, my mom is a servant of this church and she serves faithfully. And I'm like, dude, this is amazing, God-given. Man, either she's going to give me the car or he's going to give me the car for free, discount, or man, even if it's full price, I'm willing to give this money to her. And then she started, he started talking about his mom in the past tense and said, my mom eventually passed away from some sort of illness. And by this time, my heart is broken. I'm like, oh, no. My heart is feeling for this guy. And at the end, you know what he says? Therefore, I can't meet you physically, so if you want to buy the car, you must wire me the money. (laughs) And I'm like, hmm. You know, that sounds obvious as I'm telling you this story right now, but at that time, as I was reading, my heart was moved. I mean, literally, I'm like, oh, poor mom. And then I was like, I I, I actually replied back and I said, hey, can you tell me more about the process in which, you know, I will wire you the money? Because I genuinely wanted to kind of see, God, this can't be false. This can't be fake. The story that I just listened to, it has to be real. 
And he said, yeah, you just go to uh, this bank. You could go to the nearest, nearest Albertsons or Vons. The compassion aspect was out the door. It was all about make sure you give me the confirmation number. And I knew right away, oh, no, this story is not true. And you know, what do I do? I'm so bad. I, I just continued trolling him because by this point now, I was mad. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? Yeah, you know, hey, why don't you call me? I'm going to go there right now and wire the money. And I pretended like I went. Because now by this time, I'm like, hey, if I can waste his time to try to fraud other people, I'm going to do it, you know? And so I'm like, hey, yeah, call me in 10 minutes. I get this call from an unknown number and it's definitely not an American person and I'm like hey yeah <laughs> so your mom passed away I'm trying to minister on the phone to the stranger I'm like I'm so sorry do you believe in Jesus and he's like ah oh, in this broken English something along the lines of yes or something I believe Jesus did you get the confirmation number I said yes it's one two three four five six seven eight nine zero He's like, are you sure? Double check. I'm like, hey, why don't you call me back in 10 more minutes? I'll double check again. All this to say, I mean, don't do that. I don't want to sidetrack myself here. But the devil here is trying to really crafty, immensely crafty, deceive us. And so if you're in this group where you're like, hey, demons are not real, be very careful. There's ways in which Satan will, in crafty ways, deceive us. Not only is he vicious, but we're told the Apostle Paul tells us that he, is vi that he is vicious. He's crafty, but he's also vicious. How do we know? Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Apostle Paul was telling us during that ancient Greek, uh, ancient time, he was trying to bring this picture of two people, individuals, who would fight and wrestle hand-to-hand -hand combat, and the person who would pin down the other person and hold their arm against their neck would win. And I know that doesn't sound too vicious, but did you know what the consequences of that person losing was? They would have to gouge their eyes out. The person who lost in this wrestling match would have to gouge their eyes out. You see, this is not a game. What Apostle Paul is telling us is, is he's not just crafty, he is vicious. He's trying to spiritually maim us. He's trying to blindfold us to really not see the truth of the gospel that can free us that can bring true joy, true peace, true righteousness in Christ Jesus, what he does is, I'm coming after you, I'm going to spiritually maim you, and I'm so crafty, I'm going to lie to you, I'm going to use whatever power and authority that is limited and restricted that I have in my whole power to come after you. Please don't fear, we still got two more. The third one, characteristic of the devil and Satan is not only is he vicious, not only is he crafty, but he is an intimidator. He is formidable. How do we know that? He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He wants to instill fear by 
further telling us, look, this is who I have. This is not just a random street gang. This is the mafia. There is a head guy. There are different, different levels and ranks in my authority. When I command, these demons will execute in whatever shape, form. He intimidates us. He instills fear in our lives. Um, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but during that time period as a youth pastor where I was dealing with not one, not two, but maybe three or four multiple cases of what I thought was demonic influence upon some of my students. My heart was so shaken, and man, this is, as a youth pastor, I, I absolutely don't know what I'm, go, what I'm doing. That was the very first time I was exposed. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church in the States, but I had the, my missions background where I saw crazy things in South America. And here, when I saw my students, my former students whom I love so much, being attacked, influenced by these demons during worship, they would convulse or manifest and start shaking. Some of them would just not be able to worship or even say the name of Jesus. And literally, we would take them aside and minister and pray to them, and I could see literally that there would be this immense fear in some of my students. You know, and a lot of these students, young people, have so many ways in which this world will attack them. Parents out there, I don't know if you've seen these social experiments on Facebook where like these random YouTube people will message random kids and pretend to be someone they're not. And then they will tell the, these kids, hey, meet me somewhere, like randomly. They've never met physically, but they just tell them, meet me here, and, you know, we'll go and have fun. And it's a social experiment, so the parents are involved, and the parents are assured, and they say, no, my son, I've, I've taught him well. I've taught my, my daughter well not to talk to strangers or not to do that. And you know what happens nine out of the ten times that this happens? They actually meet the stranger whom they were just talking online at that park or they actually even go to the van inside this like shady looking van. I mean, now we're talking like, do you not see this van is so shady looking? Like what, like why would you go in there? And I'm watching these social experiences. I'm like, no, don't do it, but they do it. And the parents obviously, right? Why would you do it? <laughs> They're angry. There's so many ways, even with young people too, the types of people that they follow on Instagram or social media. There is this identity that young people are losing, their identity in Christ, because they follow these models and now all of a sudden they have to eat what they eat, look how they look, dress the way they dress. And they forget that God through scripture tells these beautiful sons and daughters that they are precious to them. I've seen it, I was a youth pastor for over 10 years, and although that may be true to them, I wonder how that affects us, who are supposed to be, I guess, more mature spiritually than these, like, than these little kids, right? Yet how many of us are so blinded are so numb maybe to our guilt because Satan has already planted seeds of disbelief or maybe thoughts of, man, 
this world has so much to offer me. And the fourth characteristic that Satan is, is he is evil, he is wicked. Verse 13, prior to verse 13, at the latter part of verse 12, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now be very cautious. When Paul says evil, he's not talking about this um, obvious knowledge that we have of evil where like Satan comes at this, as this red figure with two horns and he's like, I am Satan. No, if he is crafty, if he's vicious and he is going to instill fear, it roots from this ultimate desire and satisfaction from Satan to be so wicked and evil to crumble whatever authority you think you have to deceive you. And so we must always be alert, always go back to scripture because what's our tactic, what's our strategy, what's our defense strategy? Let me just give you three points or three keys and then we'll close. One is we must finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Key number one is understanding that the only authority demons and Satan will respond to is the authority of Jesus Christ. Do I hear an amen? You, ourselves, do not have the power or authority. It is Christ in us. It is the Holy Spirit. And when Paul was telling the church in Ephesus, which, by the way, was a place where there were so many occultic practices the temple of Artemis, which was one of the ancient wonders of the world, which they made all these figures of this goddess of Artemis, and they sold it, and people worshiped to it. When Apostle Paul is writing to this church, he doesn't tell them, hey, beware of demons, or be ready to cast them out. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This word present is a, is a passive present imperative mood. What that means is it's a passive command that God gives us and says be strong, but it's present in the sense that in the believer's life, we need to understand that it's present on a daily basis and it's absolutely crucial for us to stand in the presence of his might and it's in the imperative mood because it's a command that he gives us to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so Paul is very clear. He says, look, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Key number two is that we must put on the armor of God. Now, obviously, Paul in detail describes different pieces of the armor and he was writing this in prison so it could have been that he saw a Roman soldier standing by and he kind of saw how the, this armor was protecting him but I just want you to understand that this armor that Paul is talking about he talks about in a very similar tone in Romans chapter 13. And so briefly, let me just, you don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, just write Romans chapter 13, verse 12 and 14, because I want to explain what it means to put on the armor, this armor that Paul is telling us. 
Romans chapter 13 verse 12 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so there is this very similar tone in Ephesians and Romans chapter 13, verse 12, but it's actually verse 14 that gives us what this armor really means. And verse 14 is, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we can make a safe conclusion that putting on this armor of God, whether it's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword, or whatever it is, is equal, equivalent to putting on Jesus. Now, what does that mean? It means that we put on Jesus in a positional sense in which we say and confess, you are my Lord and Savior, but there's a slight issue with that because in Ephesus, he was already talking to Christians who already had Christ in a positional sense. So it must be something more than just Christ in a positional sense. It must mean, okay, there is a, there is a sense of authority it means putting on Christ Jesus by appropriation because the authority Christ has is set apart. It's us yielding constantly to Christ Jesus, to the work of the cross. It's constantly claiming the authority of Christ. Literally, the song we sang, your name is beautiful, but there is also power in your name. I saw that with my former students in whom I would say, hey, do you believe in Jesus Christ and the moment they hear the name of Jesus they would either start to manifest more or they would just kind of shriek or whatever it was literally the name of Christ the name of Jesus is so powerful and has authority so not just by positional sense but we must put on Christ and understanding that there's authority in his name and third and last strategy and key that I want to share with you guys here, it has something to do with the defense strategy. Apostle Paul three times tells us to stand, to stand, and to stand. He never tells us or ever in the Bible are we exhorted to go and seek out demons. He never exhorts us to go and try to fight Satan directly because to be honest we've been giving our marching orders and as we follow Christ Jesus and we fulfill the great commission and we do our best to follow the great commission Satan is coming for us he's going to be threatened there's no need for us to go and try to do ghostbuster action no Christ Jesus has our back when we have been giving our marching orders to live for the glory of God, to fulfill the great commission, Satan will come and attack us. And it's during that time where we must remember the key that Apostle Paul is telling us, look, you must stand from whatever fiery darts of the devil he shoots at you, from whatever insecurity or hold that you may have that man the devil has made you believe you're not worthy, you're not able to be forgiven. Apostle Paul tells us otherwise. He says, stand strong. Stand strong in Christ Jesus. Our demon possessions 
and exorcisms real? I would say yes. But as children of the most high king and God, we must have a healthy balance, obviously not to err on either side, to never underestimate the enemy or you will face defeat, epic defeat. And I hope that the practical three ways that Apostle Paul shares here to go in the strength of our Lord, the King who has overcome when he came and died on our behalf, that that may not just be a positional sense, but we claim authority and victory in Christ Jesus and that we stand as we fulfill the Great Commission, as we give glory to God in all that we do.